Welcome to Composers On Air, podcast presented by the Lithuanian Music Information Center. I'm your host, True Rozaski. We'll be hearing conversations with living Lithuanian composers who will be giving us deeper insights into their music. The works of composer Zibuakle Martinetite revolve around the subject of beauty, which she calls both a guiding principle and an aesthetic measure for sonic quality. Her recent release CD, Saudage, of her orchestral works gained critical acclaim with reviews in the New York Times, Gramophone Magazine, BBC Music Magazine, and Limelight Magazine. In 2020, she was awarded the Guggenheim Fellowship and granted the prestigious Lithuanian Government Award for creative achievements. In the upcoming season, the New York Philharmonic will be presenting her work. In my music, of course, I really long for those meditative states of mind that the listener would experience. And I think that's my final destination, so to say, of the every piece, to have those moments of inner peace, really inner accomplishment where you feel just okay. There's nothing to be achieved, nowhere to go, nothing to fear. Well, I'd like to welcome you to the first episode of Composers On Air. In the studio today, we have Jibuakle Martinetite, and I will say Labas. Labadiana. Labadiana. And in Lithuanian, that means hello or good day. And we are really excited to have you start this off as a way of, of sharing Lithuanian music and also trying to find some, I don't know, deeper perspectives into the music and also possibly the creative process. So I wanted to first congratulate you for the success of your latest CD. This is Sodaj, which is on Ondine Records, and it came out in February of 2021. And the first thing I wanted to say is all of the attention that it's been getting has just been so spectacular. Um, reviews in some of the most prestigious magazines like Gramophone, and even on the technical side, Stereophile Magazine, BBC, and, and it's just getting a lot of worldly recognition. So how does it feel to get this type of recognition? Well, it feels absolutely amazing because uh, that sort of recognition simply means that more people will be accessing the music and more people will be hearing it. And I already see the results of this CD that you mentioned, because when I look at uh, where my listeners are coming from, I see so many countries, like over 60 or 70 countries in the entire world, that people are streaming CD, maybe not buying these days because it's, uh, streaming is most popular medium for listening to the music. 
And I am very, very excited about just knowing that someone somewhere, let's say in India or Japan or Brazil, is sitting and discovering my music. And how did they do that? How do they discover it? Well, because of all this, uh, all these reviews that came about and uh, reviews were really worldwide. I mean, started on all continents, Australia included even, UK, United States and Europe and Lithuania. So it's, yeah, it's, it's been quite a thrilling journey. Yes, I've, I've really been uh, enjoying the process of hearing, you know, what people are saying and just the general feedback. And one of the threads that is going through all of them is the nature of the music itself in that there's some type of, I don't want to say addictive quality, but something that seems to captivate or um, really engage the listener. And I was wondering if you understood what this means. In other words, what do you think it is about this music that is having this type of effect? Well, for the one who is composing, it's uh, it's not so easy to predict the effect uh, that music might have. The creator, the composer might have some ideas of what they want to impart the audience with what kind of feeling or what kind of experience. But uh, actually, it's very, very hard to know whether the music will be engaging enough or will it leave enough space to breathe for the listener's mind, for the emotions to unfold. So I think I'm usually not so secure about this particular issue because even though I would like my listener to be deeply engrossed in the music and to kind of forget about everything else, but every time it's a, like a crap game, you don't know if you will succeed. You can use the techniques, you could uh, calculate the predicted effects that will be produced by certain harmonies or rhythmic choices, like rhythmic pulse, to have a continuity of it, or even how the textures unfold. But uh, the magic that comes from the combination of all those elements, it sort of appears on its own, I would say. I mean, you could prepare all the conditions for it, but whether it will appear or not, mostly depends also on the performers, I must say, on the how they pull together musical flow and how they manage to maintain that continuity of the flow uninterrupted. Yes, you know, I was thinking about the idea of, you know, a traditional musical education where you're learning form and design and technique and all these things that, you know, develop a sort of unconscious mastery and this, I believe, really creates freedom in those that need to execute that skill. And in the way that this unconscious competence reveals itself in a journey, I would say. I always thought there's a universality about the idea of a point of departure, taking a journey, and then somehow returning home. On your previous CD, uh, In Search of Lost Beauty, you actually defined in your notes the reason and the intention of what's called the long form. Can you just tell us a little bit about 
what the intention was there? The intention is quite simple and obvious, I would say, because uh, with current times and especially the uh, everyday exposure to devices and to technology, people are becoming less and less uh, able to focus for longer periods of time and our consciousness becomes very fragmented, even without our permission, I would say. So any type of means, whether it was music or film or any like form that has something to do with time and continuity, it helps us to keep the attention going, which means we are training in this uh, sustained attention that we lost in our lives, in our everyday lives. So, and that becomes the intention for me as a composer to create something that... Um, helps that aspect of our minds that kind of facilitates uh, the sustainability of attention, of focus.
In Search of Lost Beauty, around an hour in length, obviously succeeded in doing that, and many people reported that in listening to it. In the latest CD, it seems to me that you're accomplishing the same thing with shorter durations, meaning they're not an hour long, but somehow there's this ability to captivate and to pull somebody into an atmosphere. It's this atmosphere that I'm interested in understanding a little bit more deeply in, you know, without talking technical terms, is there a way that you can describe a form or a design in a compositional structure that that makes sense to somebody who doesn't know anything about music? What is the technique of captivating? I think it mostly has to do with uh, how we treat time. Not so much the design or form or structure, but what is the experience of time? And as we know from life, I mean, time could have this very pedestrian and boring quality to it, where it seems like there's a lot of uh, quantity of time, but nothing happens. So it appears that uh, our brain is creating less memories when nothing happens, right? So therefore the experience of time is shorter. But if we have a brief moment of time where something very significant happens and something that is a let's say life-changing experience which could be an accident or falling in love or any of those strong experiences or discovering a, an artwork that you've never seen before or let's say a bolt of lightning in the sky right that makes you change your perspective right away so in that moment uh, you create completely new memory and therefore your brain when it will remember that experience it will think that it lasted for much longer time it's more about density of time than anything else when we talk about musical time so whether whether the time is you know filled with musical events or whether the time is sparse so if you create sparsity of time it could last even for an hour or two but you will have the experience that time was passing by very quickly. In other words, you won't be bored because it will be engaging, but uh, afterwards you will think, oh, that hour felt like five minutes. It could have lasted much longer. And of course, as a composer, I want that experience in my longer pieces, the one that you mentioned, In Search of Lost Beauty, for piano, trio, electronics and video had exact same intention where you want the experience of longer time passing very fast and how do you do it not to fill it too much with the uh, acoustical events and now completely opposite technique is used in shorter pieces let's say in those orchestral pieces that are on cd sodage here because the duration of time is relatively short, although for a listener who is used to the, the pop or rock songs, that duration is still quite long. I mean, 15 to 20 minutes is, is quite a thing. So here you compress the time and how you do that by packing it in with a lot of things that happen through that time, whether it's a 
changes in harmony or changes in orchestration or changes in uh, also density of textures uh, or layering of textures, you create uh, the illusion that a lot of things have happened through the 15 minutes. And that's what, why listener, after hearing that, let's say, one of the pieces, he thinks, oh, she created entire world of uh, something, right? like an atmosphere. And if you think ab about it in relative terms, like 15 minutes is not so much, right? But the experience is much richer. I get so excited about the positive receptivity for just that reason, the fact that it can be successful at this time because of the attention deficit and because of the fragmented activities that we're always doing. And I think a lot of that excitement that people are feeling is that it, it's almost that they're, they're missing or longing for a type of simplicity about how they're feeling emotionally, that they can come into contact with a deeper emotion for a real, a real human experience. And I've been listening to your music for over 20 years now, and I could say that there has been a movement from complexity to a type of simplicity. And I understand that there are, there are notes, and, it's, and we're always talking about notes when we're talking about music, making decisions of notes, instrumentation, and so on. And I also appreciate what you said earlier about the quality of musicianship that you're working with these days and how that contributes to the success of the effect that you're after. You know, for example, working with the Lithuanian National Symphony Orchestra, that must have been just a rich experience to be so close with that level of musicianship for a period of time. How was that? You mentioned Lithuanian National Symphony Orchestra and also Lithuanian Chamber Orchestra that are on this CD. Both orchestras are excellent in their musicianship quality and their fantastic performers, really. But I think what made it happen, so to say, was the conductor who is the conductor Giedrish Lekite, who conducted and prepared all those pieces for the CD. I think in her hands, in her capable hands, but also very enthusiastic and skillful hands, this music got the chance to be heard in its exact representation, I would say, because this young conductor, she's really precise and she... Now, no detail in the score is not important for her. So she pays attention to all the things that are written there because she understood my intentions and she knew that if I wrote an accent on a note or a small crescendo, that is not an accident. That has a meaning in a larger texture of sound.
So you really have to trust the score's accuracy and the, the conductor also has to be able to, to do that. How do you work with the conductor though when you're say in a recording session and are there moments of ambiguity where things need to be cleared up and what, what's that dynamic like to understand the difference between um, the score's accuracy and strengthening that realization? If the score is performed the way it's written, then there's never any, uh, uh, no discussion is needed, actually. I mean, you could only talk about the emotional quality or some kind of uh, philosophical contextual meanings behind the notes uh, to help musicians to kind of get a feeling for that music. But... Uh, all the technicalities, if they are executed uh, in perfection, uh, there's no need to talk about them. And in this case, uh, working with uh, conductor Gedre Lekita, I would say it was easy because she was so dedicated to executing the score in a way that she would treat all those uh, masterpieces by Beethoven, Brahms and Mahler and Richard Strauss. So it was... Uh, an honor and also a big joy to hear her work with my music. And you know, I was thinking the just the idea of an orchestra, such a large force, such a large number of musicians. Do you view the orchestra as an instrument conceptually? Because I know that like most composers that have achieved orchestral compositional writing, they usually have a history of working with smaller forces. You know, perhaps they have the opportunity to write for solo instruments and then maybe someday they get into a chamber group. So how does it feel to view and feel such a large body as a single instrument, especially as compared to, you know, a smaller set of forces? When it comes to orchestra, maybe I wouldn't call it a single instrument, but more like a single entity of sound, which is very complex entity. It's being perceived as something very unified, because the sound comes at us as listeners as one unified force. But let's not forget that there are so many instruments in the orchestra, and you still have to balance them out to get that unified sound. Why I like working with orchestral textures is because it uh, provides a lot of space for my favorite, perhaps favorite technique of layering, where many instruments could be playing the same musical gesture, not necessarily melody, but they are stacked up in time with a little bit of distance between themselves in time. And that creates this kind of movement or of the bigger mass. So you feel like there's this huge, massive sound that is there. And at the same time, it has those minute gestures within the bigger mass. So you see as though it's a big, big sound consisting of small, tiny entities, which you cannot see on their own. But for instance, if you look at the ocean, 
and you see how the sun is uh, reflecting in the ocean and there's all these shimmerings uh, in a, which is so multiple that you cannot even follow it but somehow when you focus your gaze on that shimmer and all this blinking shimmering then you get this hypnotic experience almost because it seems like there's no up and down, there's no light or dark, you don't, you start losing the points of references even, whether it's reference of depth or reference of height or any reference. And I think the same can be achieved with the sound. So you create all those multiple little tiny, tiny gestures and then you put them into action, into the forward motion and then you see what happens <laughs> yeah and you know i'm so happy you said uh, action and motion because i think that initially when people hear about uh, a longer form or being captivated or working with long durations there may be a tendency to think that the music could be uh, having that static meditative aspect but in your music Actually, you have a lot of motion and a lot of activity, and um, certainly there's always the presence of an effective climax. And this is the most interesting thing. Again, back to this notion of journey, I remember hearing the premiere of Sodage, and as the harmonic textures started building and layering and taking me on this very almost hypnotic journey, all of a sudden, something's going to happen. There's a climax on the way, and something starts to build, and something starts to build. And I'm very interested how you think about and how you imagine, uh, especially when you're writing, the process of a climax. So, you know, what is it, what is it that you do to to go through that experience of you know going from you know just an atmosphere into motion and that process of of building a climax
Well, I like uh, the balance between uh, what you call those static atmospheric things and textures and uh, the dynamism of form because I think this duality is also contained within our lives even if you look at our cycles of life and you see periods of sleep that we go through every day and it's well it appears to be a very static period of time and long period of time but then during the day how we come into motion and how things are moving forward and how things are changing because of that forward motion also if we look at nature and uh, how it operates so to say we see the same thing i mean there's never any thing that is being uh, static for a very very long time even ice that is frozen, I think, still has some movements of par frozen particles within it. And uh, the best example is also water, right? It's always moving. It's always, uh, like if it's a river, it's always in motion, although it appears static to our perception. So in my music, of course, I really long for those meditative states of mind that the listener would experience and I think that's my final destination so to say of the every piece to have those moments of inner peace really inner accomplishment where you feel just okay there's, there's nothing to be achieved nowhere to go no, nothing to fear just moment of fulfillment so to say but of course in order to get to that moment of fulfillment you have to have a journey of some sorts and that journey is usually full of events let's say also when people start working with their minds and meditating whatever meditational practices they are doing what they notice that when they sit down and try to pacify their minds with uh, watching their breath or whatever other techniques they might use, they notice that mind becomes extremely agitated and there are so many memories of fears and anxieties and everything starts coming up at you as you start to uh, become peaceful. So it is as though when you pacify the mind and you start to see what is reflect being reflected on the surface right this is the same what happens uh, with my music i think so let's say there's this goal that i want to achieve or that destination of the journey which is that wonderful state of mind that let's call it meditative state of mind or a moment it's not even a state it's just a probably per just a short moment but then in order to get to it, you go fighting your inner tigers or inner demons, so to say. And the more, the faster you get through that uh, journey and the more intense the journey is, the more you will enjoy that uh, moment of peace when you will reach it or the moment of stagnant being or stagnant existence. So therefore... Of course, I need climaxes, as you mentioned, and I need some kind of a 
music that brings up motion, so music that has continuous forward momentum and never stops until it reaches that uh, final destination, so to say. Yeah, it's just so exhilarating to experience that, um, especially uh, with a live performance. You know, the recording, however, I found one of the highest quality recordings I've ever heard for an orchestra. And I consider myself an audiophile and a sound designer. And this quality of uh, recording all of the instruments in the orchestra such that you hear everything when it needs to be heard is a remarkable achievement. Did you work with the sound engineers in any kind of direct specific way to participate in this process? It just so happened that uh, for recording this particular CD, Sodash, orchestral CD, we got to work with the best recording engineers that we have in Lithuania, and it's Vilus and Alexandra Kerei. They have a company called Baltic Mobile Records, and they've been working with such musicians as uh, and recording for Deutsche Grammophon, for all kinds of uh, famous labels, recorded uh, conductor Mirga Grazinita Tila, recorded Gidon Kremer, Kremerata Baltica, I mean, they have so much under their belt and they're very, very uh, top-notch uh, sound guys. So it was uh, their mastery and I didn't need to participate in, uh, in their decision-making process because they've done it much better than I would have. Yeah, it's just wonderful. And uh, Ondine Records, who is offering not only a fine international distribution through all of the major platforms, but even they're offering high quality downloads for those people that have um, the kind of gear that is required to listen to high quality recordings. Uh, it's such a gift to hear the subtleties and the complexities that give your music the voice that, that it absolutely deserves. Um, I wanted to, to quickly touch on, you mention nature a number of times, you talk about the ocean, you talk about a river, um, you seem to be very touched by nature, and, and I've known that about you. It gives you a lot of regeneration when you need it, and I know that you live in New York City, but you also have a presence in the middle of nature when you're creating. And I, I just wanted to find out if you could share with the audience a little bit about the importance of being in nature when you're creating. It's the most ideal to be in nature when I'm composing. That's why my best pieces were composed in Lithuania in my summer studio that I have. Uh, which is in the middle of nowhere, and I could really just concentrate on uh, what I hear inside, inside my own head, so to say, because it's so quiet, it's so, it's just perfect conditions. And also nature allows you to see the bigger picture of how the processes that are happening in the natural world, of how they grow organically, so to say, and 
how they change very, very slowly, but still noticeably. And it's, it calms you down, just this slow tempo of change, I would say. Because in uh, New York, as we know, both of us, it's very hectic and it's even through the pandemic year it's been still quite a fast speed in the city. And if you just step out on the street, on the corner, you will see so many things are happening at the same time. And uh, the density of events uh, is amazing, it's just extraordinary. So your attention is always jumping from this corner to the other corner, peripheral vision is always busy. And of course, orally speaking, I mean, ears are always catching this or that sound from a little bit farther away or closer away. Whereas in the nature, you have this uh, much subtler palette of uh, sounds, let's say, and also not only sounds, but colors and everything, all the things that are happening around you. So it allows you to not so much to pay attention to what is happening around, but rather to put your gaze inside much easier than in the in the city that I found. But when you're sitting in nature and you're in, as you called, the middle of nowhere, and you've got a, a big comfortable desk and you have your compositional paper spread out on the table and a pencil in your hand, your mind is creating the music still. And much of the time that you live is in an urban environment. When you're in the nature, how does the content of your mind, because you're still using your life experience and your inner states to execute the composition, to what extent is the urban force in your mind? Do you feel and do you hear that complexity of your urban life while you're writing in the middle of nature? It's hard to tell what's exactly happening, but of course that let's call it inner noise uh, that has been generated when being in the urban environment is still there for a while when I go to nature and it remains so maybe for a couple of weeks and I for sure have the experience of the turbulent uh, not only thoughts but memories and reflections and everything comes together but then at some point it starts settling down and it starts, the life that I lead uh, when I live in nature, it's very simple, it's very ascetic, I would say. And what it does, it also simplifies the mind. And instead of being distracted by thousands of things, you become more focused to the thing that you're doing, which is music. And that gives such a freedom, such an inner freedom. Actually, it's the biggest freedom that I've ever known, is to be able to sit down and then dive into music, forgetting everything else. The freedom comes from self-forgetting, and I think that's what we want as a creators in the creative process. What The most successful moments come when we completely detached from ourselves, from our bodies, from our even history of life and all the troubles that are currently present in the moment. And we are simply being one with the music that we are creating. And the, the music, that piece of music that we are writing is the only thing that exists in that moment. 
or let's say it's not one moment of course it's hours and days and months sometimes and uh, the same i think our listeners uh, who are experiencing music what they want ultimately is this self-forgetting they want to depart from themselves because we all get too tired of ourselves and too burdened by all the things that we accumulate innerly and outerly and it becomes such a big uh, big struggle inner struggle to just juggle those things all the time and uh, take care of this aspect of life the other aspect of life and it's just uh, an ending stream of uh, things that require your attention and in those moments, uh, whether listening to a piece of music and or looking at something or watching a film or, I don't know, listening to the river or ocean, in those moments, if we manage to disconnect from all that and uh, depart from ourselves, even if it's for a brief uh, second or two, we become, first of all, very happy, right? And then secondly, very free because we are not limited anymore. So, and that's the beauty of the creative process, that it allows us to experience that ultimate freedom and uh, ultimate, uh, yeah, being completely limitless, I would say. Well, I just want to thank you so much for being a part of this project and sharing all these perspectives on your process and your music. Thank you so much. Thank you so much, True, for having me over and I am thrilled to be included in this podcast that is dedicated to Lithuanian composers' music.
Composers On Air is supported by the Lithuanian Council for Culture.